37th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Pixelated Paranormal, episode 100! Man, this is it, folks. We have made it. <laughs> what a momentous occasion it is. It's crazy. Yeah, holy... Congrats, thought, congrats to you guys. I haven't been there the whole hundred, but you guys both have. So congrats. Yeah, you know, you've been here in one way or the other. Yeah, you've at least been here since episode 40-ish. <laughs> yeah, whether you were our man on the street or you were in the back seat, Eat you have meat. been oh! here, baby. <laughs> 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 yeah, hell yeah. Congrats, guys. I am, I am super proud, very excited, and uh, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I never figured it would go this long, yeah. and uh, this is quite exciting. I thought we would at least been burnt out by like episode sixty. Like, you know what? We've hit everything we want to hit. Like, what do we do now? And shit just keeps coming. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very true. And like I said on the Instagram, man, you know, it's uh, it's been a fun ride so far. But the haunted highways are long, and this ride is far from over because there's still so much crazy shit to talk about. Words. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. More words to mispronounce. (laughs) 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 More facts to butcher. More slip-ups for Preston. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No one gets to hear because Sean cuts them out. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Hell, yeah. Well, congratulations, guys. And I think first and foremost, we've got some packages here from Big Dobbs. The man himself with instructions no, to. I've been waiting to open this thing. Now, yeah, don't open until episode one hundred. Yeah. So, so you're, are you going to keep all this in with the sounds of us opening it and stuff? Uh, yeah, might as well. I mean, so he knows it's real. Somebody's probably. All right, I open mine. Enjoying that sound. <laughs> Emptying it now. Ooh, fuck Ooh, me. Look at that. <laughs> that smells delicious. It's Big Dobbs Beard Bomb, Omaha, Nebraska. With a signature logo on there, and it is the flavor of holy shit. Mmm, fucking mint, boys and girls. Mint. Everybody in between. Yeah, it's fucking insane. It smells so that, good. It does. That smells as fresh as a Himalayan Yeti, folks. Oh my god, that's so tight. Yes, it does. It's like <laughs> ice cold vanilla. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Ooh, that is good. I'm going, I smelled it when I opened up the envelope. <laughs> I'm going on a vacation tomorrow. I'm going to ride roller coasters, so this thing is going to be fucking... Oh, damn. Just smelling that's, up the entire roller coaster with barf in It's like having vanilla ice on your face. <laughs> right. Vanilla ice, ice, baby. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much, man. Yeah. Alan, you've outdone yourself, sir. This smells fantastic. Yes, it does indeed. If I didn't already have uh, fresh in my beard right now, I'd probably put some of that on there. And that's not a plug. That's just us saying, this is some good shit. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. We'll plug it at the end of the show. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's like three guys at my at my job that have beards, and I'm always trying. I mean, I go in there like Preston every day, like just sitting there plugging that same line. Fresh Do you want death. a beard? <laughs> I need a beard. <laughs> you need a beard? Want a beard? Yeah. Do you want to oh, grow yeah, a dude. beard that'll make... 
uh, Bigfoot say Jesus tits yeah. and check Jesus out BigDogBeerBomb.com. I mean, that's worth his weight in gold right there. The money you spent to hear Bigfoot say Jesus tits. Wow. Yeah. True. <laughs> I think... Uh, Hey, and Preston, what a uh, what an excellent segue! I should go ahead and drop a disclaimer. So, uh, as always, we aren't here to offend anybody. But on this episode, we will be briefly discussing a little bit about religion. So, if you believe in God and Jesus, we aren't here to take them away from you. And if you don't believe, then this is just another folk story for you to enjoy. But we will be touching a little bit on religion here after a bit, or at least the devil. So. The yeah, beast. so on uh, this episode, Old 100, it's going to be packed full of ghosts and aliens, the devil, and boy, oh boy, you guys came through listener stories of plenty. Like crazy? So many listener yeah. stories, which is awesome. Yeah, we were, we were really excited. We've got at least three to drop on this episode, I think. Um, and what better way, and what better way to rock out 100 than with haunted rock and roll yeah yeah this is gonna be uh paranormal stories that have to do with musicians Ooh, because music has always been important to the three of us way before and outside the podcast Uh, music has kind of brought us together in different ways uh maybe it was steven listening to icp and me (laughs) secretly just bawling my hands into fists you know till my palms bled (laughs) Or, you know, me and Preston talking about... Uh, or me and you, the very first pepper. band we ever connected over. Punchline. Who was that? Done. Bone Thugs and Harmony? No. Punchline, dude. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Bone Thugs. Hell yeah. That's awesome. And one of my favorite progressive rock bands is Tool and how Sean hates Tool and how all the songs uh, sound the same. But you know what? I still love you, Sean. I still well, you know you. what? Speaking of Tool, you did take me to see El Puss. No, is that El oh, Puss? Yeah, oh Puss. my God! El Puss. El Puss. What? I saw El Puss. Sounds like a Danny Trejo film. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dude, you got to hear El Puss. El Puss. El Puss. No, Pussifer. You and yeah. Eric and, and Patty took me to see Pussifer, and that was a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, I am yeah. fucking jealous. So, music has been a very big part of our lives, as many of you guys, you listeners, as well. So we've got some otherworldly encounters to share that have been experienced by notable bands. But uh, before that, let's drop a little bit of news, boys. We've only got one story for you, but I promise it'll be magical. Because an Indian stuntman is now missing after failing to complete an underwater escape. Why do they do this? Chanchel or Chanchel Lahiri, also known as Wizard Mandrake, unfortunately is missing after following his attempt to complete a Harry Houdini-like escape trick. He was tied up and lowered into India's Ganges River, but never rose to the surface after the trick was supposed to be done. So now he's known as the Drowned God. <laughs> oh, or the best disappearing oh trick ever. <laughs> Uh, A magician went missing Sunday while performing an underwater live stunt in the Ganges River in India in a place I won't even attempt to pronounce because I know I'll be offensive. He was tied up with steel chains and ropes and lowered into the river in Millennium Park. The magician, however, disappeared near pillar number 28 of the Hawa Bridge. Mr. Mandrake was reportedly drowned as he did not come out of the river while his family police and onlookers awaited for him 
And so far, that story I came across this afternoon around 11 or 12 in the afternoon. Uh, there have been no updates that I've seen so far. So it looks like this guy actually may have been drowned, unfortunately. Which is really shitty because he's 40 years old and he did a similar trick 21 years ago in the same area. <sighs> but uh, yeah, it's a bummer, man. And that one, he was tied inside a bulletproof glass box with chains and locks and dropped down. And he came out uh, after 29 seconds. So this is either some David Blaine shit or unfortunately, uh, he went out doing what he loved. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a... That's a pretty big river. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, the current of that, I mean, if he did drown, like, I don't think you'd ever find the body because, like, it just would, you know, basically wash you away out in the middle of nowhere. Right. So, not to be insensitive, but he's probably in, you know, you know the, the Indian Ocean somewhere. <laughs> Man. You know, did you guys do you guys love magic? I secretly love magic. Um, I've never really seen like an actual like magic show, but when I watch uh -huh. them like on Netflix or YouTube, I I I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I love, love the movie. Now really you see me one and two, but hell yeah, those are awesome. I fucking <laughs> loved those. Yeah. <laughs> I like the uh, the the movie The right. Prestige. With uh, David oh, Bowie. That was, that was good. Oh, fuck. Yeah, man. that's one of my favorite wow, movies, Wow, I dude. forgot all about that. He wasn't that. I remember when The Illusionist came out and Prestige both came out, I think, maybe right around mm -hmm. the same exact time. Yep. And when we went to see The Prestige, I actually thought we were going to see The Illusionist. <laughs> and then I'm like, any minute. Wasn't like Paul Giamatti in that? Yeah. yeah. Any minute, Paul Giamatti's going to come on screen. And then like halfway through, I'm like, yeah, we went and saw the wrong movie. But I ended up loving it and thinking that The Illusionist was just okay. Yeah, because David Bowie does that to you. He does. He does a lot of things to me. <laughs> it works you out. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I think let's get things kicked off and get started. And Steve, you want to you wanna jump in first, man? Yeah, that's cool. Cool. All right, so I had this idea to do this like rock and roll, uh, musicians, all this stuff with pertaining to where they got their so-called, you know, not so-called skills. They're all very extremely talented. They're... Um, their skills to where they were unbelievable where before they weren't. So maybe they made a deal with the devil or something like this. And the most famous out of all these is obviously the, the tale of Robert Johnson, the blues player. Now, when what sparked my interest in this is that they have a series on Netflix. It's like individual, individual episode, um, basically like mini documentaries about, um, musicians so this one the series is called remastered it's amazing this one's called devil at the crossroads it's a netflix original docu docuseries check it out it's the shit and this is where um like my interest came to this uh, all this information came <clears throat> between that and, and online and stuff like that so uh robert johnson was born in hazelhurst mississippi on or around may 8th 1911 and died 27 years later on August 16th, 1938, spoiler alert, at Three Forks near Greenwood, <laughs> Mississippi. Now, the crazy thing about Robert Johnson is that because of his, like, no birth certificate, no death certificate, like, it's hard to tell exactly when he was born. But this is, like, all the research that people have done. So, Robert had an okay childhood. Lots of moving around, going to and fro. Not uncommon for the South. Robert Johnson grew up in Memphis and learned the basics of the guitar from a brother. Then, aged around eight or nine, Robert moved back to the Delta to live with his mother and new husband, Dusty Willis. 
he became known as Little Robert Dusty. By the time he was 19, Robert had married Virginia Travis on February 17, 1929, in Penton, Mississippi. She was 16 and died in April 1930 as she was giving birth. Can you get any more bluesy than that? That's fucked right. up, dude. Like that. I mean, to be that young and for her to be that young, you know what I'm saying? He was what older than her, obviously. And then, yeah, with her being so 16 and dying at birth, Jesus. There's a red house over yonder. Lord, that's <laughs> where my baby <laughs> stayed. Yeah. And I mean, wasn't wasn't the problem too that you know he was kind of playing little stints here and there with his guitar, mm-hmm. and he told her to go ahead and go up to her parents' house for the baby, and he'd catch up. Yeah. Yeah, he'd like yeah. He'd, he'd catch up and, and and all that stuff. Um, and let's see, this that's probably the next wife, I think. Mm-mm, nope, this, is, this is should it, be his first, is his first wife. wife. Okay, I couldn't remember. That yeah. article didn't say much about that in that, but no, I, fine, I remember baby. that. In I the watched the docu too, so I'll be your I'll be your backup singer. Sweet on this performance. All right, so around 1930, Sondhaus considered by many to be the greatest gifted of the Delta blues men of his time. And Delta blues is, uh, is very, is very signature style. A lot of great blues artists came from that era. And then in that time, uh, and moved, mm-hmm. uh, he moved to live in Robbinsville, which is when Robert first heard him play. Sunhouse recall recalled many years later, he blew a harmonica and he was pretty good with that, but he wanted to play guitar. It was from house and his friend, Willie Brown that Robert learned he would watch them play, and when they took a break, he would use one of their guitars. According to House, he was not good at all. Such a racket you never <laughs> heard. Get that guitar away from that boy. People would say he's running people crazy with it. So basically playing, getting up there while they're taking a break and trying to play something. And people are like, geez, what are you doing? Just let us sit in peace while, until the musicians come out. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, just like somebody getting up there, like break, uh, you know, like the cartoons when they play something and then like the glass breaks. <laughs> <laughs> the Bugs Bunny cartoon when he sings and yeah. the, uh, the opera and shit. In May 1931, Robert married Coletta Kraft at Hazelhurst, Mississippi, but continued to travel the Delta, improving his guitar, playing and playing at juke joints and picnics. Awesome. By 1932, Robert played for Son and Willie. They were staggered by his improvement. He was so good when he finished, all our mouths were standing open. Now, the thing with this is that, like, these places he would play with the juke joints, like, they were... Um, all african-american and this is the south so you're facing while you're traveling from town to town you're having to duck racism you're having to duck people trying to kill you yeah, <laughs> like, lynch mobs. yeah like it's it's pretty pretty crazy so to face all that to get to the next juke joint to play your music you must be pretty passionate about it you know what i'm saying most people would just be like screw yeah. that i'm just gonna stay on the farm but that wasn't his yep. wasn't his journey well, and with that too, like we're dealing with a time where we're having—I forget when uh, slavery was abolished—but you're dealing with like second and third generation slaves who they're no longer slaves, but they're still kind of working in the trade, so to speak. Mm-hmm. They're they're free, but they're still, uh, you know, plowboys. They're still farmer right. hands. They're, they're still, still working the railroad. Extreme, yeah. extreme poverty and and yeah. right racism and segregation uh, yeah and segregation all the way like it's insane right and i mean like the last thing you want to do you've had the entire world stripped from you and you're finally getting some humanity the last thing you want some jackass you know breaking a guitar in the club that you work so hard to get which is probably just a little like lean to shack you mm-hmm. know in some cases yep hold on real quick yeah let me see if i can get this because most people probably haven't heard of Robert Johnson. Oh yeah. 
I mean, just listen to that way that guitar is being played. Okay, continue, Steve. <laughs> so good. Uh, so that was all with, within basically um, a, like two years. The next time he, uh, the house or in a house, uh, son and Willie, they were like, "What? Like, what the hell happened? Like, this kid's amazing now." And they're like, "How could that have been in just like basically one year?" It's like it's just mm-hmm. it's unheard of. So <clears throat> Robert resumed the Delta wanderings as well as visiting Chicago, New York, Detroit, and St. Louis that we know of. The story goes that he would often concentrate his performance on just one woman in the audience. <laughs> what a pimp! A risky business in a world where men were happy to fight when they felt aggrieved. <laughs> Has that changed? <laughs> uh, by the time he was in his agreement <laughs> behavior. <sir. laughs> by the time he was in his mid twenties, Johnson's second wife had died without giving birth. Like, he's like, <laughs> come on, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, dude's cursed. Yeah, it's cursed, right? Boy's got a cursed seed. His first release was Terra Terra Plain Blues, coupled with Kind Hearted Woman Blues. It would only be it would be the only one that sold in reasonable numbers at the time. Next came thirty two through twenty. Blues, coupled with Last Fair Deal Gone Down, followed by All Believe, All Dust in My Broom, and Dead Shrimp Blues. While the sales were not prolific, they were clearly good enough for Johnson to be summoned back for some more recording. This time, he went to Dallas and recorded three more sides on nineteen or June 19, 1937. His anniversary's coming up. The following day, he cut uh-huh. 13 more takes of 10 more songs. That's insane. Yeah, that's pretty nuts, dude. Like, that's crazy. To do that much, that quick... While all touring, so like, when is he getting writing this material, practicing it? Right. You know what I'm saying? Now, hang on a second. I hate to interject. Steve, you said June 19th. That is the Wednesday when this episode drops. Wow. That's crazy. What a fucking weird coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> Creepy. Damn. Wow. 1937 to uh, 2019. This drops on the 82nd anniversary wow. of that recording. Oh, uh, Synchronicity, boys. Yeah, to the max. So, and then shortly after that, unfortunately, you know, the next year, uh, Robert died in Greenwood on on sixteenth, August sixteenth, nineteen thirty eight. Twenty seven years old, part of Twenty Seven Club. So, mm-hmm. was Robert Johnson murdered? There's basically uh, hearsay on as to precisely how it, precisely how he died. It is believed that Robert was playing a juke attached to the Three Forks store near Greenwood, Mississippi. According to David Honeyboy Edwards, he was poisoned at the store. He got so sick that he had fallen to take him. He had that he had. Uh, he Good got fun. so sick that he had to be taken the three miles into Greenwood where he died. The suspicion is that Robert had an affair with the wife of the owner of the Three Forks, the one he was singing all them songs to, and it was he that poisoned Robert. Now, Preston, <laughs> you say you have a slightly different different version of the tale, right? So at this point in his career, um. He had become such an influential guitar player that uh, he started going to some of the white clubs and you know around that area and, and was playing. So he was at a oh. bar, he was up on the stage, he was playing his guitar, and uh, the the wife of the owner, um, she was you know had a nice butt, had you know some nice <laughs> attributes. And uh, Robert kept grabbing at her, like trying to like fill her up. And then he kept asking for more beer. And, you know, being in the early 20s and 30s, um, a white bartender is not going to suffice of having a black man grab his wife and trying to hit on her. 
So he, in fact, put rat poison um, in Robert's beer. And as Robert is just knocking back these beer full of rat poison, uh, he was on his last song. He stood up and just fell over dead and was foaming at the mouth. And that is the the folklore of when they say that the devil came back and took his soul. Mm-hmm. Now, I had heard it was whiskey, though. Yeah, that whiskey, he had a, he beer. Had a, <laughs> don't you say that the same thing? <laughs> but yeah, the story I heard was he went up to the bar to buy a whole bottle because he had quite a thirst back in that time. The thirst. And when the yeah, when the guy got him the bottle, um, the seal was broken. And so somebody saw that and like basically grabbed the bottle and knocked it out of his hands and he said, you know, Robert, don't you know you don't drink out of a, a brand new bottle of booze that's been uh, had the seal broken. And he grabbed the bottle, you know, off it was tipped over, he picked it back up and he says, Boy, don't you know you don't slap a seven dollar bottle of whiskey out of my hand? And then, you know, he drank it and then, you know, like, just like you said, he went up and played a little bit and then fell. So crazy. Yeah. And then uh, through the research of Gail Dean Wardlow, it has come to light that on the back of the death certificate was information that points to the fact that Johnson may have been born with congenital syphilis. According to a doctor, it is Mm. possible that he had an aneurysm caused by syphilis and his love of drinking moonshine. Mm. So it's just a mystery. Hell yeah. God. So uh, there's also Kristen con- loves his syphilis. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, I guess uh, there's just as confusing of where he's buried. There are three headstones erected in, in separate cemeteries around Greenwood. One is a headstone erected by Sony Music at another location. A headstone paid for the members of ZZ Top. That's pretty cool. In the summer of 2008, year-old lady called Rosie X Ridge said that her husband helped to bury Johnson in a graveyard about three miles from Three Forks. This has now had a headstone placed in the graveyard. Wow. <clears throat> like the old shell game on his body. Yeah, right? right? I was thinking. Just how did Robert Johnson become such a brilliant guitarist? Here we go. The most famous myth surrounding Johnson's life, one that has inspired, fascinating, and taxed everyone, is the one that tells of him selling his soul to the devil. People living in the Delta today roll their eyes when asked by eager blues tourists to tell them where they could find the crossroads. Others, of course, do not bother asking. They just go to the junction of Highway 61 and Highway 49 and have their photograph taken. The current crossroads of the two highways is at least half a mile from one that would have existed in Johnson's lifetime. The point is there are no actual crossroads. In Crossroad Blues, Robert is singing of a man's need to make choices and the fundamental choice between good and evil. I went to the crossroad, fell down on my knees. I went to the crossroad, fell down on my knees. Ask the Lord above, have mercy, now save poor Bob, if you please. There was one long-standing Delta myth that talks of a blues man waiting by the side of a deserted country crossroads in the dark by the moonless light for Satan himself would come and tune his guitar. It's a story that made revel in the construction of the Robert Johnson myth when coupled by Johnson's frequent references to the devil. In his songs including Me and the Devil Blues, in which he sings Me and the Devil was walking side by side, Preaching Blues, Up Jump the Devil, Bob with the ball, the bank. <laughs> oh my god! You sneaky bastard! <laughs> and hellhound on my trail, help mythalize, mythalize Johnson's supposed deal with the devil. Now keep in mind, the hellhound on my trail, like um, they were saying in that documentary, that sometimes, like because could be, it could just be the coincidence of when people drink a lot, they mm-hmm. tend to get some when you're you basically got rot gut and your liver is shot you're you're a shell of yourself you start hear maybe hearing voices seeing things because mm-hmm. you're constantly intoxicated 
uh, they said that sometimes he would he would say he was hearing dogs and shit too. So like kind of yeah, weird, right. weird, weird stuff like that. But that could just be. I mean, if I mean the dude's been through a lot in his life, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh like, yeah. And so who knows? I'm not here to say whether what's true or not. But um, so he said. Bah, 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 bah. Johnson was far from the only bluesman who sang about the devil. Skip James, Tampa Red, Lonnie Johnson, Joe Williams, and Petey Wheatstraw all sang of Satan. The latter even nicknamed himself the devil's son-in-law after one of his 1931 recordings. Robert Johnson's influenced just about everyone that picked up a guitar and played blues and rock. Eric Clapton has been one of the most vocal to pay tributes to the king of the Delta Blues, including recording a complete album in his name, 2004 Sessions for Robert J. Pretty awesome. Yeah. So I want to interject really quick. <clears throat> so when they, the, 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 you know, the tale that uh, the reason why, you know, he, he sold his soul to the devil. And so how did the devil make him this amazing guitar player? So everybody who ever picks up a guitar, you're using your four fingers. So from your uh, pointer all the way to your pinky, that's what you're using to play the frets of the guitar, and that's you know that's how you're hitting all the notes and everything. Mm-hmm. So Robert Johnson's thumb, from the knuckle to the tip of the thumb, was longer than any man had ever seen. So he was actually able to play with all five fingers of the guitar, which gave him that weird, eerie. I, I mean, it's, he was able to hit notes that nobody else could hit yeah, in the way it would that he almost could just, sometimes yeah. sound like two guitars were playing at the same time playing different yeah. parts of the song yeah yeah that's what they said is that uh whenever son and uh, i forgot the other guy's name but whenever he comes back basically and kicks the door down they're in the middle of you know playing a set and they're taking a break and all of a sudden you know this man shrouded in a shadow with a you know a big hat covering his face is playing that guitar and people are like what the fuck because it was it was noises they had never heard before yeah and they said it sounded like two men playing separate guitars or almost like, you know, one man playing. They explained it like one man playing a guitar and the other one playing like a bass behind it because he's basically playing two different uh, melodies almost on the top of the guitar, you know, and on, you know, the, the neck and then down where you regularly uh, normally strum. I don't know the anatomy of a guitar. Mm-hmm. Now, in the Library of Congress, um, like music history time, so in the Library of Congress, he was such an influential guitar player in, of that genre that out of all the blues arts from that era, the Library of Congress has all the original pressings on the wax cylinder. So before vinyl, um, they actually had these little you know uh, wax tubes, and inside the tube was where you know kind of the the, the pressing was made. And uh, the little needle from the the phonograph would resonate inside that wax tube, and that's what it would allow you to hear the music. And so the Library of Congress was like, guy, this guy is so important that they actually kept and cataloged all of his music. And then during like the fifty or the forties and fifties, um, especially during World War II, a lot of your black soldiers, um, you know, they they weren't like your your privates or your lieutenants. They were like the cooks. Uh, they were the ones that were doing kind of the grunt work. And they would ship over, they would take with them all of these Robert Johnson, um, you know, Muddy Waters records. And then after the war was over, they actually couldn't afford to ship them back because they, you know, you were just a cook, you were the potato peeler, like we're not right. going to pay you anything. So they just left them over there. And so then people like Mick Jagger, 
um, you know, Pete Townsend, Jimmy Page, Robert Plant. These were like the poor white people of England, and they would go to these record shop, and these records are the only thing that they could afford, and that's what they grew up listening to, and that's what influenced modern-day rock and roll, and that's why we have rock and roll the way it is. Because Eric Clampton, that's all he could afford was, you know, like a, you know, like a penny Robert Johnson record. Like he couldn't afford all the other crap that was being played during that time. Wow. Damn. Well, he was heavily influential to um, the Rolling Stones as well. Yeah. And I want to say, did they cover one of his songs? Um, dude, everybody covered one of his songs. Oh, did like, they? Okay. <laughs> Jimi Hendrix, who was a god at the guitar, covered a crap ton of his songs. So. Mm-hmm. Another man who is in the 27 Club. Yeah. Holy hell. Who yeah. also choked on vomit. Oh, so, no. Yeah. Well, that's unfortunate. Um, one of the other parts that goes along with the mythos of him, you know, meeting the devil at the crossroads and having the devil tune his guitar in exchange for his soul is that he also may have learned guitar. Um, I forget who it was, but there was a guy who supposedly taught him how to play guitar, but would only teach him in the cemetery. So they would have to meet at the cemetery. And the guy basically told, pardon me, Robert, that, you know, if you're going to play for anybody, you're going to play for the dead, because no matter how bad you play, you're not going to wake him up. And so they would sit on these two uh, tombs that were side by side, and they'd face each other, and they'd trade notes back and forth and play guitar back and forth. And supposedly the guy told Robert that if you're good enough, then the, the you know the ghost will come out from their graves and teach you how to play better. But one of the caveats was they could only play at midnight because that was the uh, the witching hour. Dun, dun, dun. Who knows, man? Yeah, yeah. People, if you if you want, jump on, and we we pretty well told I mean, shit, Steve. You pretty well told the story, but. Watch that Devil at the Crossroads doc because it's only like 48 minutes of your life and it's pretty fucking good. And then go watch uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Because the black guy in that story, that's basically 100% Robert Johnson. Like that parody is totally him. So, yeah. So good. Love that movie. Yeah, I need to see it all. I haven't seen the whole thing. Well, you're doing yourself a disservice. I did (laughs) finally sit down and watch Fast Times at Ridgemont High on Sunday. Now, Whoa. is it? I just thought it was our time, Mister Han. I fucking love the that reference. Movie. I didn't catch. Yeah, dude, Fast Times. Spicoli when he oh. tells Mister Han, <laughs> "Aloha, Mister Han." This is our yeah. time. He's got that fucking bagel yeah. in his fucking in his belt, belt area. <laughs> fucking yeah, in so, front of his pants. That was a really so good, good movie. I'm telling you, man, you want to get her? Just put on side two of Zep. No. Side one, <laughs> so good. <laughs> I love that fucking movie. Yeah, oh, Shayla and I had neither Whoa. one seen that before, so we yeah, watched you, it. it pretty you were fun. loving that pool scene, man. Get over it. You know it. Yeah, I think that's the <laughs> pool scene that uh, that might have in, uh, inspired the Christmas Vacation pool scene. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, before we go on to the next story about you know music and paranormal encounters, I wanted to kind of farther uh, further elaborate on the crossroads and shed some more light on exactly what that could be, and also a little bit deeper, uh, uh, some interesting devil, the the devil's backstory of maybe like the, the true history of where the devil came from and what happened to him. So I'll make it fairly quick. This isn't going to be too long, but um, The Crossroads, beyond being, you know, arguably Bone Thugs and Harmony's greatest song ever, uh, might not actually be a physical place on the map, 
And Steve, you kind of alluded to that earlier, how people try to go and take their photo by the actual crossroads and nobody knows where it is and they just assume it's that intersection. Yeah, because going back but, to like county roads back then. Yeah, we don't know where he went, man. Yeah. Just some mood lit <laughs> intersecting dirt roads. But theoretically, the crossroads aren't a physical place, but instead more of a paranormal area. In folk magic and mythology, the crossroads actually represent a location between worlds. Uh, you know, such a site where supernatural spirits can be contacted and paranormal events can take place. So think of it more as kind of like that veil we always talk about. It might be a place where, you know, the physical world and the veil kind of uh, the veils at its thinnest and those two worlds cross paths. Uh, symbolically, it can mean a location where two realms touch, therefore representing a place literally neither here nor there or betwixt and between. And something we didn't talk about on uh, Steve on your story is the blues back in the day, back in the 20s and 30s, that was considered to be the devil's music. And there's a lot of really cool propaganda behind that because, you know, there was a, a caveat of, you know, Sunday morning rolls around and the churches at that time, especially your African-American churches, were mainly being populated by the women and the children, but a lot of your men weren't actually in the churches. And so the pastors were getting kind of pissed off because they're not really making any money and none of the men are there, so they start saying and start blaming these juke joints and these blues shows as being the devil's music causing the men to stay out late and drink too much, thus missing church. Not because it's fucking boring at home. <laughs> or at least in church. Yeah, like... <laughs> but yeah, that was always a big thing too, is not a lot of people wanted to help out Robert, and a lot of people blamed his misfortune with his two wives that passed away. Uh, they blame that on him playing the devil's music. And that's something they always said, too, is, you know, the devil's hounds were definitely chasing him because the pact he made with Satan and also the fact that he's playing the devil's tunes. So, But there's a lot of stuff that mixes up in there with, you know, hoodoo as well. Because in hoodoo, you know, an African-American magical spirituality... Um, well, that didn't even sound right, but you know what I'm saying? It's a form of African-American magic. We won't get into it on this episode, but in order to acquire a lot of skills in hoodoo beliefs, such as playing a musical instrument better, throwing dice better, or dancing, one might visit the crossroads a certain amount of times, either at midnight or just before dawn, again, during that famous witching hour. And it's said that one, or a person, the person, will meet a black man. But not an African-American, but just a man who is shrouded in shadow and built out of smoke or just basically just solid black. Some people believe that man to be the devil. The beast. And he will, be he will bestow upon you the desired skill, i.e., you know, on your knees holding your guitar up in the air, begging for the, the devil to tune your guitar so you could just for once get a taste of that sweet, sweet spotlight in those juke joints. This is just a tribute. <laughs> this shit's all true so, man this all happened to tenacious d jack black yep. kyle gas walking along a lonesome road yep it's done oh wow are they singing about robert johnson <laughs> <laughs> right. similar story but uh and also in a lot of voodoo and hoodoo papa legba is the gatekeeper of the crossroads and he is the one who allows or denies the chance to speak with the dead or the devil first off get a better fucking name that name's terrible Dude, it's a terrible name, but did you see him in uh, American Horror Story? He was the best part of that season of Witches. 
Yes, uh, uh, sniffing that cocaine, still in baby about souls. That. Yeah, that was the Coven, now, Norma, the Coven series yeah. in Louisiana. In, in regular, yeah, uh, in regular mythos, he actually is more or less an older man, kind of walking with a cane with a big straw hat. But man, they really juiced him up in American Horror Story. <laughs> he was a fucking badass, like a zombie pimp. That's but, crazy. Yeah, so that's a little bit about the uh, the crossroads. So um, another little tidbit here, uh, getting back on track. Robert Johnson was far from the first musician to actually supposedly make a deal with the devil at the crossroads. Supposedly, Niccolo Paganini, a famous Italian violinist, guitarist, and composer, uh, he was one of the most celebrated violin uh, virtuosos of his time and left his mark on the pillars of modern violin technique as well, similar to the way you know Johnson did. And uh, he's very famous for his 24 caprices for solo violin op one. But supposedly he too was said to sell his soul to the dark one in exchange for musical prowess. Uh-huh. And we all know that the devil went down to Georgia and lost that competition to the fiddle player. <laughs> yeah, because he's a coward. Oh, you and your segues, Preston. Let me tell you a little bit about the first time the devil lost a deal. How about that? Okay. So, speaking of the Dark One, here's the religious pit that I warned you about earlier. I've been reading a lot about Satan and the devil, Lucifer, and all that stuff. Um, since Presto and I went down to the Museum of Shadows, and I had my experience in the uh, the, the room they call the Next Realm, you know, in Nebraska with Big Dobbs and, and uh, Rob Bones and Micah and everybody. So, I found a pretty cool backstory on uh, one of the most famous fallen angels. So in the beginning, when God made man and woman, he, pr <clears throat> he promised eternity to the Garden of Eden. And so he said, you know, this is something that needs to be oversaw. So I'm going to give the job of overseer to my right-hand man, Satan, who at, at that point was still an angel. You know, he was kind of one of the higher-ranking angels and kind of a big to-do himself. So this is pre-damnation. Say big doo-doo? <laughs> a big to-do. Oh. A big a head honcho, big... Grand Poobah. So Satan had the job of not only watching over the Garden of Eden, but also he was supposed to be the mentor of the humans, you know, Adam and Eve. He was supposed to help, you know, guide them because at that point they were the first of God's creations, the animals, to have free will. But uh, he supposedly stood beside God and shared almost equal ranks as the Almighty. But old Satan was a little bit of a bad boy and didn't really like the way that he had to keep tabs on man, and really got bored really quick with making sure that humans acted accordingly. So he started kind of getting amused by the idea that he would be able to give man certain impulses, and, you know, maybe let Adam and Eve do as they pleased, like maybe eat that big ol' juicy apple. Mm. Because Satan was a little bit jealous of Adam and Eve, and the fact that they pretty much had near-free will, and they were allowed to live in, you know, an eternal paradise known as the Garden of Eden. So Satan hatches his plan, thinking that if he can get Adam and Eve to revolt against God's rules, hopefully God would get mad enough to banish Adam and Eve from the garden, and then Satan himself would gain, uh, gain access to the garden and live there himself. So supposedly Satan actually disguised himself as the great serpent and convinced Eve to eat the apple and thus give in to her urges. But in an ironic twist, God got pissed off at Satan for this and cast him down to eternal damnation. But here's the interesting part. 
When Satan fell to earth, the sheer force of him being banished caused a great hole at the bottom of the earth. The crater itself became hell. But when, uh, but we may have all misunderstood what exactly hell is, because when he hit the bottom of the crater so hard, he was scarred and scorned and became a massive, wretched beast that had three faces and six wings. But the creature thus was trapped waist down in a giant lake of ice. So being frustrated by his predicament and being stuck in such a stupid trap, he constantly tried to flap his wings to get pulled out of the ice water. But ironically, the more and more he flaps his wings, the more he cools the water and continues to make the ice, you know, even colder and colder, keeping him trapped in a very simple and ironic prison. However, it's said from time to time, he is able to temporarily make his way up to Earth to bargain with a few mortals for something of value, like Killer Blue's guitar skills in exchange for their mortal souls. So his classic trick, because he's always viewed himself as the smartest guy in the room, is to try to trick, you know, humans. So that's why you classically see the tale of Robert and the violinist and all these other stories of selling your soul to the devil. Uh, once in a while, supposedly, he gets a trip up and he tries to steal a couple more humans, just like the first trick he played on Eve. So what's ironic is at the end of the day, his body and soul remain trapped in such a rudimentary snare, it proves that he may actually be the biggest fool in the room himself, because if he just stopped flapping his wings, the water could warm up and he could thus just walk right out. But instead, he continues to keep the air cold by flapping his wings furiously, and so he remains stuck there for eternity, consuming the lost souls of the wretched who have been damned to hell. So it's mm. argued that Satan actually may not be the ruler of hell, but its first prisoner. Well, it's not that that way. Yeah, I uh, I never knew about that either. But uh, And apparently there's more reading we can talk about later, but supposedly Satan... Lucifer and the devil are all three separate entities. But, you know, we can talk about more of that later. Just like the Holy Trinity. <laughs> right. So, Steve, you were saying something about Tenacious D, though. Do you want to jump back on that real quick? <laughs> yeah, I love, I love the band Tenacious D. Uh, they're, they have, like, a whole mythos about them. You know, they, they have a bunch of music that talks about, like, uh, the metal and the satan and you know all that type of shit obviously it's all all for fun and stuff but uh if you've mm -hmm. not watched the movie you totally should uh it's interesting to pick a destiny basically same thing happens they um they're a band and they're trying to form the world's greatest band and then they meet the devil and they make a deal with the devil that if they beat them then they have to pay the rent that the devil has to pay their rent and basically give it. And then instead of giving them like all the skills they need, but because they beat the devil, then they, uh, they gave it an inspiration to write tribute. And that's when the greatest song in the world. Yeah. Basically like, no, they, it was just a tribute. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's pretty cool. Because they uh, couldn't remember the greatest yeah. song in the world. Yeah. If you've not seen that movie, it's, it's a pretty good cult, cult classic. You know, it's, it, you have to watch it and know that it's, silly and satire you can't think it's going to be some some best i don't know when i went watch that movie in theaters i was so pumped for him with the very first day <laughs> and um there was like a group of like i don't know probably because it was like three o'clock in the day so like you know all the older people go and yeah. there's probably about four or five older people sitting there and the movie started and 
Kickapoo started playing, and they were like, "What the hell?" And then finally, it has Jack on the thing, and he's and he starts doing the classico. Can't you see? He's the man. Let me hear you applaud. And then they were like, "What the fuck?" And like they all got up and left. <laughs> it was so good. I was like, "You fucking idiots!" Like you just thought you were gonna see a Jack Black comedy? No, this is Tenacious D, man. Yeah. Well, when we saw it, we went and saw it later in the evening, probably like seven or eight p.m. And we had the opposite happen. There was an older couple sitting in front of us, and it was like an older man, probably in his sixties, his wife, and like probably two of her girlfriends or her sisters or whatever. And they were kind of the same at first, like, "What the fuck is this?" And by the end, they were like laughing, cheering, that's awesome, and clapping and shit. And then when the movie's over, the husband's like, "Wow, that was pretty great." And the wife's like, "That was just so stupid." And then the other two were like, "Yeah, but it was actually a lot of fun." And so like they that's walked awesome. out talking about how like they stumbled into it on accident and actually yeah. really enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, I, I like in the Rise of the Phoenix album, he's he's like, when the when the Pig of Destiny was released, the critics thought it thought or it bombed or something like this, and he's like, it was a stinky pile of cheese, <laughs> some shit like that. <laughs> Fuck that, that movie's great. But yeah, it totally ties into all this. It's like a more of like a funny version of it. And that's that's awesome. You get to see Sasquatch in there and you get to see baby sassafras. So check that out. <laughs> but you already are my little sassafras. <laughs> oh yeah. That's that's pretty bad. And that's John C. Riley as, as John C. Riley as Sasquatch. So good. Oh, what was it really? Yeah, yeah. But you already are. <laughs> Well, uh, let me be the little bit of meat between these two big old buns, because I've got a short story. <laughs> <laughs> i got a short story, but I think my uh, my paranormal rock and roll story is going to probably fail in comparison to your guys's. but let me go ahead and do it anyway. Are you guys either familiar with the band The Moody Blues? I am, but I've never heard this story, so uh, wow me. But then they also sing one called Your Wildest Dreams. And I never knew they sang this, but this one's fucking trippy like an alien abduction anyway. What song is that? It's, That's it, called Your Wildest Dreams. Oh. I always thought that was the intro to like Carl Sagan's, you know, <laughs> Cosmos or something. <laughs> I didn't know it was an actual fucking song, but. Yeah, apparently the Moody Blues were on their way home from a concert uh, in London, or they were driving back to London, rather, in 1967. And as they were driving down the highway, some of the band members in the back of the van uh, looked out the back window and realized there was a really strange light up in the sky. And so one of them, uh, Graham Edge, was really perplexed by it. So he told everybody in the van, like, hey, guys, pull over, pull over. There's a really weird light. And I don't remember there being an actual radio station tower this far out in the country. We should stop and take a look. And so it should be noted that the uh, the Moody Blues also had the roadies with them, but the road crew were in a big truck in front of them. So the road crew never realized they pulled over. So the Blues, I think it consisted of about five different members. Uh, Denny Lane, Mike Pender, Ray Thomas, Clint Warwick and then Graham Edge, they all pull over to the side of the road, they get out, and they're watching this really weird UFO. It's like a big red light, and it gets closer and closer and closer, and they're watching it, and next thing you know, they're like, wait, what the fuck's going on? 
because as this thing got closer to them, they realized it was a metallic metal-shaped cigar craft, but the bottom had blue and red lights kind of zipping back and forth, pulsing almost like a you know Knight Rider's car. And Edge says what was really bizarre is the fact that while they're watching this craft get closer and closer, it lands in a field across the two lanes of the highway. But as they're watching it, they notice they can't hear any noise other than them talking to each other. So this Oz effect, you know, kind of kicks in and they can't hear any of the nocturnal animals. They can't hear any road noise, any of that kind of stuff. There's no cars coming. And Graham says it's almost like we're mesmerized in a dream. And so they're watching this thing, and they mentioned how like this weird little dull-looking short protrusion lifted up off the top of the craft like a hatch. And then as this happened, they all five say they were simultaneously gripped with, uh, with dread and panic. And so they ran back to the car, jumped in. The car started up, you know, instantaneously. There's no issue with the engine turning over. There's no issue with, you know, it stalling out. They get back on the highway and they get back to town. And they're all freaked out and they're already kind of worried about, you know, this idea that we're rock and rollers. It's the 60s. We're probably drunk. We're probably stoned. We're probably, you know, doing drugs and shit like that. So they kind of had a hard time telling people about it. But years and years later, when Graham did an interview, they asked him, um, you know, what do you think was driving that craft? And he told the interviewer that um, basically we never saw any creatures, but he said, I kept getting this impression in my head of these short, skinny creatures with fat almond-shaped heads and big black eyes. And um, yeah, so they they think they had a classic encounter of uh, the fourth kind. And what was stranger, in fact, beyond all that is when they finally made it back to their house, they had been missing for three hours. Wow. So the road crew got back to the, you know, the house or the domicile they're all staying at. And they're like, what the fuck's going on? Where are they? And they showed up about three hours later after the road crew already made it home. Pretty insane. Yeah. So that's my story about the Moody Blues. It's not nearly as cool as yours, Steve. <laughs> it's so cool, though. I had no idea about that. Their yeah, music it's pretty trippy, interesting. Though. Yeah, it's it's a super cool story. Um, I think it kind of influenced their music, but back in that time, I mean, the Moody Blues went from the 60s up through, I think, like the 80s at least, man. So they had a lot of that space-age sound in some of their music, too. And they, too, were considered to be alt-rockers, mixing classical rock with modern rock and roll. But yeah, that's mine. Let's, let's get over that and get on to yours, Preston, because you've got some good shit coming up. I, I do, and um, so I'm going to talk about Mars Volta and their album, The Bedlam and Goliath. And uh, so I sent you that song, um, Goliath. What what do you think? Steve, what do you think? I, I, I love it. I've heard it before. I fucking love that band. Oh, yeah. It's I, uh, trippy. All, the, all their music's like that. It's It's... Awesome. So it all sounds like they tied two cats together and beat him with guitars. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it was heavy. I didn't realize that's what the guy sounded like. He's got a pretty high pitched uh, uh, voice, and then lots of guitars, lots of wiener, 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 wiener. Yeah, but that wasn't bad, dude. It's not normally my cup of tea. I listen to it every day, but I will definitely get into it more. Hey, run right on. 
So Mars Volta, one of my favorite uh, progressive rock bands. And for you non-music nerds, like progressive rock, like I don't want to do like another like, you know, music history hour because Sean will kill me if uh, I, I go into too much musical history here. No, you can go into as much as you want on this episode. Just, I mean, yeah. <laughs> don't go past <laughs> two hours. Right. So stereotypically progressive rock is long solos, long albums, fantasy lyrics, grandiose stage sets, costumes, and this uh, obsessive dedication to technical skills, so like the fast guitar playing, My and the time signatures that are time. all over the fucking place. So like, right. if you listen to that song, like if you listen to the drums and then listen to the guitars, like there's like this weird beat going on, and um, that I mean that's progressive rock in a nutshell. It's fucking trippy shit. The amount of music, and, the amount of instruments that are played in this in this song is ridiculous. You got a oh, violin. You got yeah, a trumpet. You got a fucking or a a saxophone, trumpet. Sorry, uh, yeah. one of the what's the triangle thing? Needs more triangle. Cowbell. Triangle? Yeah, <laughs> cowbell. They got drums. They got a, key, a keyboardist, a guitar, maraca, guitar, bass. Uh, hitting a cymbal. He's got some other fucking weird thing he's making noises with. Yeah, a lot of them use like metatrons, yeah. um, theremins, so. shit like that. My favorite yeah. band of all time is Coheed and Cambria, and they're a progressive Woo-hoo. rock band. Yeah. <clears throat> so this story takes place with two key uh, key members of the band, guitarist Omar Rodriguez and vocalist Cedric Bixler. Hmm. So 2006, maybe, I don't know. I really couldn't get, uh, you know, like the juicy details of when exactly all this happened. The album came out like late 2007, early 2008. And most of this took place before then. So it's a pretty good guess. 2006. And, you know, historically we don't need to be that accurate with this story. So 2006. When have we been about the facts on this show? (laughs) Yeah. Fuck the facts. Right. We do the best we can with what Wikipedia tells us. Yeah. So 2006. (laughs) uh, And we don't donate shit to that site either. (laughs) Yeah. Omar was in a curio shop. So Steve, that basically is just a shop of curiosities, right? So mm-hmm. he's in this curio shop in Jerusalem when he finds the soothsayer, a.k.a. the talking board from hell. And it was Ooh. old. It had a mystical feel to it. And he thought, you know, fuck it, man. This is like the perfect gift for my bandmate who's into all this weird shit. And I'm going to surprise him with it. So he bought it. It's like me buying and, a Ouija board for Sean. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he gets back to the States. And around this time... They are on tour with the Red Hot Chili Peppers, which those two bands really don't go together. But so the Red Hot Chili Peppers, they're like fucking tearing through the venues. And then afterwards, you know, they're partying and um, Mars Volta, you know, they're very antisocial people. So they're like, yeah, we're not into all the partying. So we're going to go back to their, you know, to the bus and they would start to get out the soothsayer and they would have Ouija board sessions while everybody else was, you know, out like doing coke and, you know, rock and roll shit. And so this is like uh, this next part is really uh, like taken from uh, Cedric. And he goes after the show, most of the college crowds that are at the Chili Pepper shows want to know, like, where's Flea? Can we meet Flea? Can you give me a pass so I can hang out with Flea? And we really didn't want to deal with those kinds of people. We we're kind of like, uh, we just didn't relate to him. Uh, so we went back to the bus where the new drug of choice was playing with this antique game that Omar had bought for me. We would never dim the lights. 
It wasn't some corny Disney version like people might picture. Uh, the lights were on. The messages started coming through, and I kept looking at Omar like, are you pushing the thing? Am I pushing the thing? And I just kept writing down everything it said because it was 10 times more creative than anything that I could come up with. <laughs> the fact that I was writing everything down um, is what challenged the spirits that we contact and, and alerted them that we had the power unmasking their anonymity. When we first played with the board, we found poetry attached to it. We hired two people to translate it because it was in Hebrew and in Latin, and sometimes it was in what I think was Aramaic. One of those translators gave us back our money and didn't want to talk to us or have anything to do with us again. The other, who was a little more brave, translated the verses for us, and it turned out that they translated what was like traditional sing-song nursery rhymes, and the more I read the stuff and the further I am away from the project now, the more I realize that it is a story seeped in a modern-day phenomenon of honor killings. So, weird. The yeah, soothsayer yeah. offers in the names of Goliath, Mr. Muggs, Patience Worth, and Tourniquet Man. I want that. Now, it tells them the story about a man, a woman, and her mother, about lust f- floating between them, about seduction, infidel- infidelity, pain, and eventually murder, entrails, absence, and curses, oblivion. Oh, my. Basically, a good fucking time. Yeah, good fucking time. It, it's kind of you know, it's exactly the kind of spooky shit you want from your talking board, like real life exorcist stuff. And now I'm going to lay on the meat and taters of the story. Do it. Hit me with the meat and taters. So the soothsayer starts you. asking, <laughs> "Yeah, hit me with the meat and taters." Hit so the me with your best spudge. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the 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 soothsayer starts asking the band what they have to offer. This connection uh-huh. that sets up runs both way and the invisible voices begin to speak their appetites. They threaten oblivion and dissolution and offer it as seduction. The voices merge as Goliath and state that they are uh, legion, which is kind of like a classic, de- you know, like multi-demon <laughs> yeah. thing, right? Fuck that, demon. Fuck that. So basically like it's a medical metaphysical quagmire, an unfettered saint whose hunger yeah. to return to the real world grows more urgent with each connection. So there are proper ways to close a session with a Ouija board, but Mars Volta is like, fuck that. Like, we're we're progressive rockers. We're adventurous. And they stay in contact. And uh, they start taking phrases from the board and inserting them into songs. And so the starving Goliath extends its influence. And that's when things on the tour start to go awry. Amps, soundboards, guitars malfunction, shit explodes. You name it, it happens. The existing <laughs> Dogs drummer... and cats living together. Mass hysteria, right? So the drummer, he starts getting into conflicts with like the rest of the bandmates. He, you know, he's pissed with everybody. He eventually says, you know what? Fuck you guys, I'm out. He leaves the band broke and penniless. Um, somehow, like the lead singer, Cedric, he gets like a gimp foot and he has to have like surgery to fix it. And then they have to give him the special shoe and he's forced to like learn how to rewalk with that foot. Um, the, the engineer, uh, the sound engineer for all the records, he was uh, working on this new project with them. He basically has like a mental breakdown and yells at Rodriguez, 
you know, I'm not going to help you with this record. You guys are trying to do something very bad, something evil. Uh, you're, you guys are making me crazy. And anybody who listens to this album is going to go crazy. So he just fucking leaves the project. Um, Omar's studio starts to flood with water. And he starts to start to, ha- you know, like, I'm going to have a mental breakdown. And then long-term, long-term album delays um, start to happen because tracks that they had recorded um, just start to disappear. Like they go back to the hard drive and say, okay, let, guys, let's fine tune, tune this. Like the songs just disappeared. Um, oh, they start the having like his game up. He's got digital yeah. skills now. And so they start having like <laughs> a hard time sleeping. So everybody's complaining that they're not sleeping at night. Like they're waking up at like three o'clock in the morning. They're having like all these weird nightmares. And then like all the weird nonsense, nonsensical words that the talking board is giving them, like they start to notice like when they're watching TV or watching documentaries about mass suicides, that those phrases are popping up in those documentaries. Like they're like, holy shit, I've heard that phrase before. And they go back and it was something that they have found in one of their sessions. Now, the soothsayer keeps telling them the story about, uh, you know, Goliath. And um, it's becoming more brutal. And then one day they realized that um, somebody had like basically laminated the top of the talking board over this piece of wood. So they peeled that back because it's starting to come undone. And they find like this hidden poem um, written on like weird conical shapes. Mm -hmm. At this point, they're like, fuck it, dude, we got to get rid of this thing. And uh, so there are a couple ways that you could break this connection, like wear white for a whole entire year, surround yourself with salt, um, close the board and ask someone else to open it, thus transferring ownership, which Mars Volta, if you're listening, I would have done that for you guys. <laughs> you could break the board into to several pieces and sprinkle with holy water or bury it. And that's what Omar did. He wrapped the soothsayer up in a cloth and found a proper place uh, for it in the soil and then um, Cedric had asked, like, dude, do not tell me this location because he said um, he buried it because he knows that I am obsessive compulsive. And despite everything that was happening, I would probably want to play the game again. Ugh. Yeah. Now you're asking. I know you're asking this one question of uh, if this shit really happened. Why haven't we all gone insane from this curse album by listening to it? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So we should have gone insane, or maybe it's because it's all bullshit and just clever marketing. Or, according to Omar, we have taken extreme measures to have the project blessed by more positive forces. That's why there are tracks titled Metatron, who is said to uh, have believed in some of the myths behind curing some of the ailments associated with the Ouija boards. Metatron, Ariel, St. Gabriel, or some of the saints that you were supposed to call on when you have problems with this nature. I named one of the songs Elenia after the real name of actress Helen Mirren because she is one of my favorite uh, actresses, and the song is a little lighthearted and different from the subject matter. There are a lot of different things that I did to fight fire with fire without being touched by the male spirit of Goliath. So those weird time signatures, uh, I, I couldn't find the exact time signatures of some of the songs, but supposedly he said that they changed the time signatures because the the you know, like the uh, Fibonacci sequence or whatever it is. Yeah. They used like certain numbers, like three, 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 whatever like holy numbers were. They changed the time signatures of some of those songs to counteract all the craziness that's going on. 
And the song Soothsayer uh, contained field recordings that Omar recorded while in Jerusalem. So when you start to listen to that song, you can actually hear background noise from the uh, the Jewish quarter, the Muslim quarter, the Christian quarter. It's not really spooky, but it's kind of fucking cool that he added part of Jerusalem into where he found the talking board into that song. Tight. So some of the lyrics. Have you seen the living tired of their own shells? All the non-believers, torsos in the well. Mm. Where the hole was dug the first time, the head carries the body. I need brand new skin, Truth. incarnated debts. The night I remember when you what you slipped into my glass, I foamed at the mouth with the lights winked at me, and now my shape is kept. Let me be your tourniquet, man. Let me keep you as a favor. So if you break me a mirror... Hang the broken pieces. Now, the other cool thing about that album was when they released it on vinyl. When you uh, open up the actual fold of the vinyl um, album, you actually have a whole, yeah, you have a whole talking board. And then they released a forty-five called Mister Muggs, who was one of the one of the voices that came across. And that forty-five is in the shape of a planchette. So while you're listening to the album, you can in fact use your very own talking board. Provided to you by Mars Volta. You you have that right? Oh yeah, I have that. That's oh wow, sick, dude. Oh yeah. yeah. Get me some pictures of that, and I'll post them. But he he did, yeah. I think, right? Didn't yeah, I sent them to you. Yeah. Wow, were they in a text message? I didn't see them. Yeah. Yeah, they're in the group text message, and because the, the that when the band was releasing their stuff oh, okay. on vinyl, vinyl wasn't really popular or coming back full force yet. Uh-huh. Um, so there was very limited quantities of that, and like right now on eBay. Um, Bedlam and Goliath goes for about uh, three, $400. So it's a pretty, pretty expensive little vinyl album to own. Wow. And the title Bedlam and Goliath. So that always kind of confused me um, because I, I thought like Bedlam was like a place. Uh, but over in Europe, the term Bedlam is uh, something they would use for a sanitarium or like a crazy house. Uh-huh. And the actual old English word of Bedlam means um, like confusion to anger. Um, so the real title of the album would be like the confusion of Goliath or the confusion or the anger in Goliath. Oh, okay. Um, so it, it's just a really fucked up, crazy story. Wow. Holy shit. Yeah. And the fact that they actually used parts of the, the, the uh, you know, basically like the seances that they were conducting, they, they actually used that and integrated those into the lyrics. Like, that's just fucking crazy. Yeah, I would agree. That's nuts. It's pretty uh, interesting, man. Thanks for telling us that. that, that yeah. I have no idea. It reminds me a little bit of the, uh, wasn't it Led Zeppelin that had that big, long, long fucking uh, experience Zoz- with the Ouija board? Yeah, Zozo on yeah. Uh, Led Zeppelin 4 or Shit. 3. We'll, uh, we'll cover that again sometime then, because I, I wanted to do Led Zeppelin on this one, but that whole story of them and their saga with the Ouija board and Zozo, that could almost be an episode by itself. Yeah. I mean, it's fairly well known, so I mean, whatever. I think Jimmy Page's... Jimmy Page used the Zozo symbol, I think, for some shit. I don't know. Maybe we yeah. will talk about it sometime. But fuck, that's crazy, dude. I didn't yeah. realize you had the album. I remember you talking about the planchette there because the vinyl is shaped like a planchette, right? And it's super short. The four, yeah, the forty-five is, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's cool. Now the picture you sent us, though, the uh, the planchette text seems to be you know facing the right way. 
but the actual uh, talking board, all the text is backwards. Is that right? Is that normal? Uh, I don't know. Let me let me look at what I sent you. Uh, I didn't know if the photo just got flipped or if that's the actual orientation of the actual. Oh no, the the, the photo got flipped. So. Oh, it did. Okay. Yeah. So that's weird. So okay, you must have had the vinyl upside down then, because it actually reads correctly. Yeah. I thought maybe it was placed. The text was backwards, so maybe you know you couldn't use it as a talking board. Or is it the fact that they're all possessed by Mr. Muggs and this is their way to spread the evil gospel by getting all of us to use their talking board? Oh, shit. I never thought about Uh that. Uh It just got deeper. (laughs) And uh, Mr. Muggs, coincidentally enough, is a uh, famous chimpanzee from like the the 30s or the 40s. (laughs) Okay. Um, So he was one of the first chimpanzees to be uh, trained and used in movies. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, a monkey named Ham was one of the first chimps to go to space. I think it might have been a Reese's. Get your hands off me, you damn dirty ape. <laughs> right. <laughs> We're going to listen to stories next, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so real quick, I got a question. So that ayahuasca shit, is mm-hmm. that is yeah. that illegal here in United States? It's illegal everywhere in the U.S. except for like one church. Uh, yeah. There's okay. one church. I don't know if it's like I forget the story. If it's like its own religion or what. Yeah. But I want to say they got the legal rights to use it during religious ceremonies. Otherwise, yep. so, they go to Chile. I think. So my yeah. my thing is is like, <clears throat> there's somebody I know that's wanting to do, that's wanting to do that, and they're like all about this church, and they want to go, they want to go there, blah blah blah. Now mm-hmm. my thing is is like I've also read like I've read stories about people just going insane. Like it'll break uh-huh. your brain. Seeing the mechanical elves and all that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. And especially uh-huh. especially if your brain already has a chemical imbalance as it is. Right. Whether that you know, from some mental illness of some sort, that 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 can trigger it more. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm trying to explain to this person that the like so, Did I did I ever tell you about the uh the uh, butterfly penis story, Steve, on ayahuasca? No. You did this? You did ayahuasca? No, 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 no. Oh. Um, so I, ayahuasca is um, it's basically almost like when you take it, it's like a tea. So they make like this this tea mixture, yeah. and it's a whole ceremony. Yeah, a bunch yeah, of eight year old boys have to spit it into a cup. Yeah, so, and you you ha- after you drink it, um, you actually have to learn to uh, regurgitate um, yeah. because if if you let it sit in your belly too long. Like you'll basically just kind of shit yourself, like yeah. like bad, right? So this guy, um, well, hold, hold, hold it, on, I've watched. Uh, Chelsea Handler has a show on Netflix called Chelsea Does, yeah, and she has a whole episode about that, and like well, it fucked her up, like <laughs> like not like shitting, like she she regurgitated, she puked and all that stuff, and like mm-hmm. but just like her experience of like what it what well I mean I don't know like it didn't. It fucked her up at the time, but now that she did that and had that show and had all that limelight and had that her like talk show on Netflix, yeah, she's like stopped all that. She's seen something after that, and now she does just straight up humanitarian shit, advocating, mm-hmm. uh, protesting, and dedicate all her time to that and dog and dog and animal rescue. So like, th- that was probably her turning point. If you really think yeah. about it, <laughs> like. 
So for about five or six thousand US dollars, you can go to Chile um, and you can go up into the mountains and um, you you can have this religious experience. Right. And an actual shaman um, is going to show you how to drink the ayahuasca, what to expect and blah, blah, blah. And all this crap. So this guy. (laughs) Yeah. So so this guy was doing this and he wrote a book about it. So he uh, he's like, you know, one of the guys, you know, didn't uh, um, didn't regurgitate it. And so, like, he basically wakes wakes up out of the ayahuasca trance and he's just in a pile of his own shit, like liquid poops everywhere. (laughs) And he's like, dude, this is horrid. But this guy, you know, did everything right. And uh, he's like, you know, I just I don't think this is working. And he's sitting there and like all of a sudden he starts to see like these flashes of color, like just fireworks are exploding in front of his eyes. And he's like, I just went to this whole new world and he's like i look down and like my feet are melting and then like my my penis like i had pants on but it's like my penis turned into this vine and it's like working its way out of my pants and it's just like this beautiful like you know think of like a poison ivy like one of her little tendril plants like move up you know He's like this, this, my penis is like moving out and he's like, at the end of it, it turned into like a, this flower blossom and it turned into this beautiful butterfly. Mm, hashtag and all of a sudden, the, yeah. And he's like, all of a sudden the tendril just shot itself into my mouth. And literally the whole entire time I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, I just ate my own dick. <laughs> and uh, he was like, that was the end of the experience. Huh? Meanwhile, he's like, got his feet up on a wall and he's trying to, <laughs> trying to suck his own dick. Yeah. This worked for Marilyn Manson. Why can't it work for me? Trying to suck his own shit-covered dick. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Steve. Back to what you were saying. Um, it's argued that people who have severe chemical imbalances should not use these things. But the other side of the coin is it's said to possibly help repair some of the damages you have. And it's also, I mean, I know a lot of um, a lot of research has been done that psycho hallucinogenics can help people with severe uh, chemical imbalances and severe mental uh, illness as well. So my, my thing is, is, is so if a person that has chemical imbalance that mm-hmm. maybe has some like repressed memories or mm-hmm. blotches of time that they don't remember certain stuff for whatever yeah. reason, they don't know the reason they right, do this right. because it's been said that this will help you uh, come to terms with whatever was making you have that mental block. Like, right, right. You have to roll yeah. the dice. Whether I mean that could be a that could be your your brain blessing you, or you can be oh yeah that be fucked yeah like you know yeah because of severe trauma you know your brain has that mechanism that it shuts it off and depending yeah. how bad it was it kind of just buries it and you forget about it for a reason for me for me I would think it wouldn't it wouldn't be worth the 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 chance like if I was if right. I had some kind of repressed memory that I don't that I mean it's like all right, I don't want to poke the bear like. Right, again, I, right. I don't know. I mean, you turn everybody... your whole world upside down depending yeah. on what it is. What, yeah. What's that? Uh, what's the other? Um, God, I'm trying to think of it. It's like it's considered like the other weed. Um, and I'm trying to think of what the name of the, of the drug is called. No, um, Angel Dust, Kratom, K2. No, like synthetic or real? No, it's real. Um, and it was something that was legal like a couple, uh, like four or five years ago. And, um, the, anyways, this guy took it and, um, it, it basically transported him out to, out of his body. And he ended up, uh, floating through the ceiling, going into the, the room upstairs of the house that he was in. 
and uh, he ended up being trapped inside a paisley quilt. Like it actually like made him feel like he was part of the fibers of the quilt. Um, it was like was some legal. grandma paisley <laughs> design. And like, he was like, I'm going to be stuck here forever. So, and then somebody else took it and they ended up believing for a short period of time that they were a suitcase stuck in a, uh, a an airport and people were like, you know, like throwing shit on top of him. And he was stuck in that little baggage cart that was moving around. Are you talking about acid? No, it's not acid. <laughs> well, I don't know. I haven't heard those tales before. Me either. That's crazy. Yeah. But you know what stories that, I have heard? What's that? These listener stories. Let's get this oh, cart back on the track. Yeah. <laughs> Steve, we'll get back to that more later. I know uh, I know a guy whose brother went to Chile and practiced that ceremony. Um, maybe I'll reach out to him and see if he wants to have a you know chat about what he experienced. But um, yeah, I don't know, man. That's always a it's always a double edged sword if you do that kind of shit. You know, if you're gonna, like you said, poke the bear remember something you didn't want to know or it could fix you. You know, who knows? Yeah. Well, I sent you guys both a picture in the group text. Did you get said picture? Yep. Okay, cool. So we tweeted out uh, 100th episodes coming. If you guys have anything you want to share, let us know. And just from Instagram alone, we got three pretty good hits. So mm-hmm. I will start off with a message and a photo I received I'll probably pronounce this wrong, but from a lady named Dora Lee or Dory Lee. And the message starts off with just a photo. And the photo seems, you know, innocent enough. It is a blurry, what I would call accidental photo at first of, I just hit my mic, sorry. Uh, uh, You know, what looks like to be a man's legs wearing shorts, an old wood floor, and then a woman walking by in a white dress barefoot. And so I get the message and the message says, Can you tell me what you think about this photo? This is my uncle's showcasing a huge scratch on his newly finished hardwood floors. And proof, there's something else who wanted a picture taken with him. The house is definitely haunted. I've lived through it. And I said, okay, so what is this photo here? Because I'm thinking, okay, all I see is a hardwood floor, two people in the photo, you know, their feet, Mm -hmm. and then what looks like, you know, maybe an H that's scratched into the wood floor. And she says toes, and I think it may be a heel from somebody who wasn't here in this dimension. My uncle thinks it's Jesus because the bottom of the dress slash cloth. And I said, oh, really? So the figure at the top left is uh, the top left of the photo. That's who we're talking about. She says, yes. The other person is my uncle. She said he's completely alone in the photo. He was the only one in the house, and this was at his house in Rhode Island. And I asked if he's had any other activity in the house besides the photo. She says the house has been haunted since well before she was born, and she currently is 39. She sent me another photo that's a little sharper with a filter put over top of it, saying, you know, I added a filter from my Instagram on here to sharpen things up. And that's the one I sent to you guys. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, it's either, a, it's either Jesus or a person in a gown. Has he seen the figure before? And she says, not this one exactly, but there have been a few different ones. I've seen a couple of them myself with my very own eyes. I've had a bunch of other pictures taken that I've taken throughout the years, but they have disappeared. So, you know, lost them or what have you, misplaced or, you know, spirits. 
We even rounded up everyone in the whole entire family and looked at their feet just in case. <laughs> right, and that's what I thought. Hell, good, good detective work. Hell yeah. We even rounded up the everyone in the entire family and looked at their feet. Now, what's happening ca- here is somebody's <sighs> wanting to get that their hands on that camera to get all them feet pictures so they can make some money. that's what's going on here (laughs) we even rounded up everybody in the family the whole entire family and looked at their feet just in case it was a glitch on his camera and a different picture was melded into this one and not one person's toes looked like these we were unable to debunk the photo it's crazy and I said oh damn that's a pretty good way to try to debunk it too well this is pretty awesome we'll sure chat about it on tonight's episode and I signed off with, feel free to send us more stories if you'd like. This is the biggest reason we started the show, because everyone has something weird that they have experienced that they can't explain. And she says, thank you, I will. I'm sorry, she says, I will, thank you much. So that's awesome. pretty fantastic. Um, I'll post the photo in the notes. You guys can take a look at it. Um, it is what it says it is. It is a gentleman's, uh, what I'm assuming a gentleman's body. Uh, I thought it was an accidental photo at first, but no, he's taken a photo of his hardwood floor, which kind of looks like um, some vertical scratches, one horizontal scratch. Mm-hmm. And then uh, what seems to be a woman or a man in a white gown walking past him hurriedly. So it's it's pretty cool. I'm perplexed by it. Uh, you can see what you think might be a heel or it might just be a large knot. No, I think it's a heel. Looks like somebody's kind of walking by. You can see obvious toes, uh, a white blur that we're assuming is a gown, and a person's heel. Pretty weird. So, yeah, thank you very much for that. That is awesome. And I would like to say, if you're listening, send us some more stuff. What yeah. else have you experienced there or anywhere else? But, uh, yeah, thank you so much. Now, Presto, why don't you be the meat in my sandwich? Oh, I will. <laughs> so I was uh, with the gentleman tonight i met up with and uh, he's a new listener of the show and uh, we, we were kind of talking about how like we're you know we're recording the 100th episode and he's like brother? oh man that's true huh no and uh he was like man that's really cool um you know i've had three paranormal experiences my whole entire life and he's like after those three um he's like i, I don't want to deal with it anymore he's like you know i'm done i'm over it like i know that shit's real Meanwhile, and, you got Steve here who's begging for just one thing to happen. Yeah. And uh, so he, he's like, you know, he's, he's had like two in a, like paranormal experiences while he was in a house. And those were kind of like, to me, they were mild. And uh, so he was, he was talking about how when um, he was a kid and uh, he would sneak out with his buddy at night and there was like this farm field a little bit down the ways um, from their house and you know they would scare the shit out of the cows and um, you know they would just kind of dick around out in the woods and uh, whenever there were cars that were approaching driving down this kind of kind of brick top highway mm-hmm. uh, road that they would kind of hide in the ditch um, because they didn't want anybody like calling the cops on them or anything like that and uh, so this one night that, that they were out and uh, they they heard a, a car approach and they could see the lights coming. So uh, Jerry, we'll call him Jerry, because mm-hmm. uh, he always stay anonymous. Uh, he Jerry was like, oh, oh, shit. And he got down into the ditch real quick. And then his buddy 
uh, was like trying to kind of like hide in the in the brush, and um, he said that he heard the the car stop, and he heard the door open, like the passenger door open, and he could hear this male voice. The hell? You know, what the hell? Huh? Um, he could hear this male voice say, "Hey, are are, are you okay?" And he's like, okay, I'm just not going to say anything. I'm just going to hide here, and uh, they're, you know, they're going to ignore me, and um, he, the guy will just drive off. And uh, so he, like, again, heard the male voice go, "Hey, kid, are, are you okay? Are you hurt?" And so he looks over to where his buddy was, and he was like, you know, my buddy was just pitch white, like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. So at this point, Jerry was like man I should just you know man up and uh, just tell the guy hey we're just uh, you know we're out here screwing around like we'll go home and he he kind of pokes his head out of the ditch and he's looking at like a 1950s 1960 red pickup truck and the passenger doors open mm-hmm. and there's nobody in the truck what? like it's an empty oh. fucking truck so he's like man did the guy get out like what's going on and again, he heard the male voice go, seriously, kid, are you okay? And he was like, uh, yeah, I don't know, <laughs> I'm <Rick>. fine. <laughs> Why is he Morty? And then he said, without a beat, the door shut and the truck took off with nobody what? in it. And they're watching it drive down the road. And when it got about like two, three miles away to where all you could see was just the back of the, the taillights, he was like, the taillights just disappeared. And he was like, that's it, dude. I'm fucking done with the paranormal. Never again. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? It's like a reverse. Uh, it's like a reverse version of the hitchhiker. Yeah. The old story of the ghost hitchhiker. But you got a fucking <laughs> ghost <laughs> jalopy. Damn. <laughs> that's fucking cool. So this guy said he had two other stories then, right? Yeah, he, uh, you know, experienced like, um, um, and so the house that I had, um, their house, I house set them for them one time when I was a kid, they, they went to Hawaii for a family vacation uh-huh. and they, they needed somebody to watch their dog. And, um, they had these really old, like silver, silver gelatin prints from like the early 1800s of, uh, like, I don't know, the great, great fucking grandma or whatever. Uh-huh. And I always got the impression that uh, those pictures were watching you. They're like those, they were set up to where, like, no matter what angle you were looking at them, like, yeah. the eyes just kind of followed you. So I'm in this house by myself and I'm watching their, their, their dog for them and I'm in the back bedroom and I had the dog with me in the crate and, you know, it would always kind of whimper <laughs> in the night. So I, I kept letting it out and it was probably like six, seven in the morning and um, I hear this, the, the, the door of the bedroom was slightly cracked open and I hear this male voice go, shut that fucking dog up. Oh, and then shit. the bedroom door just slammed and like, I just like, I couldn't move. And then as soon as the door slammed, like I just kind of bolted up out of bed. Well, he had recounted um, one night falling asleep out in the living room watching TV and like when he opened his eyes, his eyes were kind of angled toward that hallway where the pictures were. And he saw this like dark shadowy figure kind of walk from the corner of where the stairs were and walk down that hallway um, and just disappear. And uh, so we both think that uh, maybe those fucking 1800 photos are haunted. So, huh. And he sent me home. Um, his mom had made um, some copies of them because they were old and she wanted to give them out to the family. 
Um, so she had made a bunch of copies of them. And tonight, as we were talking about that story, he's like, you know, since you have such a love of those photos, he actually gave me um, two uh, black and white copies of those photos that I can share with you guys. Creepy. Uh, Is one of them yeah. a baby with a boxing glove? Nope. Nope. <laughs> so uh, hopefully at least two people listening got a good chuckle out of that. My buddy Matt, um, well, Steve, you know Matt. Mm-hmm. Uh, you weren't there that night, but one time we went to Matt's parent, uh, Matt's dad's house and his stepmom's house, and they used to have all these old-timey photos kind of like that, too. And they had this weird-ass photo, and if I remember right, it was like a baby dressed up in, like, Victorian clothes, and it was holding, like, a fucking boxing glove or some shit. It was the weirdest thing. And so, like, three or four of us were down in the spare bedroom, trying to figure out like where we're going to sleep and just like looking at these creepy ass photos. And meanwhile, I'm pretty sure Matt was upstairs in the room directly above this room in the basement. And the air vent led straight down from Matt's room down to this room. And he started fucking making like weird noises and talking and shit through the fucking air vent. And we were all completely positive that those fucking photos were haunted. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, fuck. Well, hell yeah, dude. That's awesome. Uh, tell tell him thank you for that. I really, really Oh, yeah, that. I will. So our friend Hill uh, reached out to us, and uh, she told us a very intriguing story. It's almost a continuation of this ongoing saga of the experiences that they're currently having. Uh, she and Alan are having at their house up in Nebraska. So she says, hey, guys, I've had another weird story, and I've been meaning to write you. Two days ago, Allie, and Allie is, you know, uh, Alan's daughter, was staying over at her grandparents for a couple nights, so Alan and I had the house to ourselves. We've been discussing buying a place soon, said we've been doing online house hunting, and we're talking about it all night. We finally went to bed around 2.30 in the morning. I was awoken to the sound of Allie's bedroom door slamming shut hard. Alan didn't wake up, but when I woke him up, he looked around. Sorry. Alan didn't wake up, but when I woke him up, we got up and looked around. Nothing was amiss. Once he was awake, he said that it was really strange because right before he fell asleep, he was staring into the hallway thinking, wouldn't it be cool if that door slammed shut? So her door was shut when you guys got up. And she says, yes, latched shut. And the carpet is so high, I replicated the door slamming and I had to follow through with force. It definitely couldn't have shut. It definitely couldn't have been the cats. I'm more and more intrigued by this spirit in our house. It's as if it can read our minds, which is creepy. If you recall when I told you the story about that weird music playing that Alan didn't hear, I was reading an article about Clara Audience or Clara Audience at the same time. It seems intelligent. I'd love any recommendations for books slash audiobooks, etc. you guys have when you have time. Specifically for learning about different types of hauntings. P.S. Congratulations on your 100th episode. So I said, wow, I was going to say it sounds a lot like this thing is intellectual and precognitive. Um, I said, I'll do some digging and get back to you uh, for some books. She said, that'd be awesome. I said, because the idea of what you're experiencing somewhat borders poltergeist activity as well, and the fact that it seems to be responsive to your thoughts and or actions. 
She says, this crossed my mind too and creeped me out more. And I said, exactly. Although both times Alan didn't hear it, just me. So maybe I'm the creep. (laughs) (laughs) He sat up in bed when the door slams shut, but doesn't remember it. And she (laughs) she says, thanks. Uh, you caused this and then leave me alone in the dark. No memory of it. Ha. Huh? <laughs> so basically saying Alan did this and just fucking passed out. <laughs> so uh, poltergeist activity really makes a lot of sense in this situation. Right? Just because a lot of the studies out there about poltergeist, um, typically like when you're going through any type of stress, you're having like a big life change or something like that. Yeah. Like you're mentally trying to process everything. So because you have all that built up anxiety or, or whatever it is, your subconscious is the one that's acting out. So if something intellectual is like interacting with her and it only seems to be responding to her thoughts, it's, you know, more, I wouldn't say more than likely, but it's a possibility that the reason why that's occurring is because it's her, like, you know, subconscious, the real her that's, you know, meta, you know, appearing in the real, you know, real world or whatever it is that I'm trying to say. And that's why it's interacting with her because it's like the, the, uh, how do they describe that? Like the me, the I and the id yeah. uh, or the ego. So it's just that alter alternate part of her. That's just communicating with her. If that makes sense. I don't know. I probably butchered that. No, I mean, to a point it makes sense from what you're saying. Because the other thing is, you are you insinuating that maybe it's it's Hill that has the the activity uh, associated yeah. with her? Yeah. So what I was thinking is, classically, poltergeist activity, more or less, I always thought and have read, is associated with teens, teen angst, and especially young women, young girls who are you know right around that uh, right that middle school age there. The moody I mean, blues. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, so so both. I mean, uh-huh. typically you you see it in teenagers. So like teenagers, like let's say like your parents are divorcing or whatever, and you're going through like you know that pubescent time. You have a lot of yeah. stress. Like that inner inner angst is is acting out. Um, but it, it can also be just in adults too. So there are cases with adults where like they have a heavy load and you know they're trying to process things. Um, but you know. 80 let's call it 85 percent of the time you know it's really you know young young teens or young adults Uh um, but it can be adults themselves that experience that interesting well i mean i don't know lots lots to think about with that you know for sure and hopefully um we didn't just add more to the holy shit what's going on pile (laughs) (laughs) you know because we were there and we didn't experience anything there wasn't uh, really any weird energy but Hell, they had a cornucopia of stories to tell us about that house, you know, so. But to me, it's also, it's interesting, too, that it, it went on when Allie was not at home. Yeah. Which, you know, is it is it more or less just an echo of, uh, of the energy in the house when she's not home? You know, again, that idea of teen angst, she's not home, but maybe it was a, a one instance where maybe she got upset and slammed her door. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of a reverb of that uh, that kinetic or telekinetic energy, perhaps, but. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, super wicked. I can't uh, I can't wait to hear if it happens more and furthermore, you know, if you know down the road when you guys do get a new place, I wonder if it continues. Cuz then we know it's definitely following somebody in that family. Or you just moved into another haunted house either way. Could be the rabbit. I blame the rabbit. 
Yeah, that's a pretty big rabbit. Pretty, so. It's a big fucking bunny, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, guys, I think that's a great place to kind of put a pin in her and uh, wrap things up. You guys got anything you want to plug? You guys watching anything good lately you want to uh, recommend to everybody? Um, <clears throat> no, I haven't really been watching much of anything. Uh yeah, not really anything at all. I did start playing uh, Rage 2 on the Xbox. That was pretty good. You guys are getting your game tonight, the Bloodstained. Fuck yeah, dude. I've been, been waiting for. for 17 years to play that sequel. Yeah, cool looks, pretty, looks pretty good, so you guys should enjoy that. Yeah. You can check out our fa- our uh, Facebook, Pixelated Paranormal Podcast. Check out our Instagram, PXL Paranormal. And uh, give us the follow, give us the hearts, all that shit. Oh, yeah. I want to give a big shout out to John. Uh, you know who you are, sir, my fellow bibliophile. He messaged us a while back, and I forgot to give him a shout out, but he uh, he messaged me privately and said that if I was interested, a book by Paul Barber called Vampires, Burial, and Death, Folklore and Reality was on sale at a used bookstore on eBay for like four bucks. So I jumped on that, and that came in. And this, I think, is going to be a pretty badass little read here. It talks about different, uh, you know, centuries of folklore about vampires and how it ties into, you know, what I'm assuming is, you know, modern myths, legends, and everything else. So I can't wait to get into that shit. But, John, thanks, man. I sure appreciate that. Cool. All right. Check out uh, check out Mark's solo cast, Pixelated Sausage. Check out his video game reviews, Attack the Backlog. And Preston, what is my favorite video game podcast? I mean, no, you <laughs> race me car podcast. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> Sports cars unleashed Perfect. there. Yeah, vroom, vroom, check them out. And our friends over in Colorado, <laughs> fear and fame. <sighs> Go ahead. Okay, is it my turn It's now? your turn now. Listen, guys, if you need a beard, if you want a beard, if you want to grow a beard that will make the devil lose a fiddle playing contest, <laughs> check out Big Dobbs. <laughs> beardbomb.com and use promo code PXLPARA for 20% off your order and use that 20% off to get the new mint scent because let me tell you what it is the bees fucking knees yeah it's got mint it's got vanilla and it's got shit in it that I don't even know but it just makes my nose hairs tingle and I'm like oh my god this is the best shit on the earth do yourself a favor buy it wear it look fabulous live it learn it love it there you go. I might be Word. as bold as to say that we're going to hijack the name, Alan, and we're going to call this Himalayan Yeti Mint. You <laughs> call it what you want. <laughs> Tell you, man, get them, get them paranormal sense. Mm-hmm. You do that. You make a little label for it. You put it in your, put it in your trade shows, man. You're done. Yeah, that's it. I know a guy who can make you labels. He's a short, furry guy about my height. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Well, um, for me, uh, you know, and I, I don't want to speak for you guys, but for me, I'd like to say from the bottom of my cold, dead, morbid heart, thank you, everybody who's <laughs> listened, uh, who supported us. Alan, thank you, sir, for uh, sharing the gospel and, and really pushing our uh, our show to everybody. Thank all of you guys who have been with us since the beginning. Maybe you just jumped on board and just shared a paranormal story today. Oh, shit. That reminds me. We did have one other story. Sorry, I didn't mean to leave this out. I can't talk about what it is, and I absolutely hate when people are vague. We had another person reach out to us today who's been listening for a little while. Uh, he has some stuff to possibly share with us, although we can't get into it now because of the nature of what it has to do with. There are some um, there's some legal sensitivities that he may not be able to uh, 
go out of yet to discuss some of his uh, his encounters or experiences. Anyway, that's super vague. I hate to be that uh, that vague about it. But anyway, uh, thanks for listening, dude. And hopefully we can we can get over those hurdles and you can share with us some of the stuff yeah. that uh, you wanted to talk about. But yes, potentially some pretty, pretty badass, big, big league stuff here that we might be able to get into. Fingers crossed. Definitely not yeah. Bush League. It's big league. Right. <laughs> yeah, thank you, sir. And also welcome back to Wichita. But uh, yeah, thank you guys so much. And uh, go ahead, guys, if you want to say anything great. If not, well. That's it, man. Thanks for thanks for having me on this ride, guys, and and yeah. uh, thanks for everybody out there listening. Uh, you guys are the best. I appreciate every one of you. Oh yeah, yeah. Thanks for listening. That's Corey, me of course. Mispronounce, yeah. Fuck Corey. Thanks for listening <laughs> to me. Uh, you, you know, mispronouncing words all the time and muddling through my stories. And you know what? Fuck it. Here's to a hundred more. Fuck yeah. And we'll have Corn Dog. We'll have old Corey. On some of those episodes, he's been trying to get on with us too, so we'll get him in here. <laughs> and uh, and Mike, I swear, dude, I will get to the tale of the Black Angel that you sent me. I've just I'm almost done researching that. I wanted to add some more to that listener story uh, you sent me there, so that that should hopefully be on the next episode. Fingers crossed. But cool. All right. Well, Ooh. thank you guys. Episode 100 in the books. And like Presto said, Ooh. buddy, cheers to 100 more. Stephen, thank you so much for being in that back seat, baby. It is yours until you want to get out. Yep, just Hopefully. banging back here. <laughs> You're right, yeah. You're probably stuck to those sticky seats by now. But, yeah. Oh, man. yeah. Remember, um, listeners, stay spooky and stay on the paranormal highway. So when you say that, can I say anything else, or is that it? No, I mean, you could. <laughs> okay, you sorry. I, I was going to say, uh, Rob had mentioned uh, about being on episode 100, but uh, he just got, you know, he was out of town for a trip this weekend, and we kind of had to do this one last minute because... We recorded, this is Monday night, we're going to record, uh, well, shit, I'm, I'm going to edit tomorrow and drop this puppy out Wednesday, but uh, we'll get Rob back on here hopefully again sometime soon, and uh, you know what, above all else, big shout out to Rob, um, without him we wouldn't be here doing this show, and uh, Thanks, yeah, Daddy. Grand, granddaddy, founding father of the show. We'll get you out of that retirement home one of these days, buddy. He's dad. He's daddy to me because he was he did podcasting before me. I did and I started, and then you guys started. So he's granddaddy to you. He's grandpappy he's Rob to me. Yeah, <laughs> grandpappy Rob. Hell yeah, grandpappy Rob bot, and also to Mark, man, the silent guy behind yep. the scenes. Mark uh, does a lot, and he puts up with a lot of my last minute emails and my oh shit, don't post that file, post this one because I realized <laughs> I cut out someone's entire audio once. <laughs> whoopsie nuggets Oops. yeah whoopsie. live and learn live and learn cool all right guys thank you so much for listening preston say your thing again because i uh i interrupted all right listeners stay spooky and stay on the paranormal highway <laughs> boom thank you so much the cast that pixelated paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode pixelated paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical the strange the unknown Tales that will move you a little further down the paranormal highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange.